Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, thank you, Dave Slade, and thank you for listening. It's another Baseball America podcast. John Manuel and Kyle Glazer with you today. As usual, our podcasts and our Facebook Lives are sponsored by, sponsored by Baseballism, the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com. Enter the offer code BASHIP and receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com for hats, shirts, and more today. It's just a podcast, so you can't tell what shirts we're wearing today, but today I'm actually wearing the Joe Boo drinking shirt, so that's one of my favorites. Uh, just watched Major League the other day. 30 years of that Major League movie, if memory serves. All-time classic. I mean, that's one of those movies that no matter what age you are, what level of interest you have in the game of baseball, it gets to you. For my money, I... I agree, it this, does. This is a controversial opinion, but when people ask me what's the best baseball movie of all time, I actually go Major League, and that's just wow. me personally. That's an upset. I would not, I would not, have, I would not have guessed that. Um, Rene Russo does bring that movie up a few notches. You know, for me, Renee Russo, greater than Susan Sarandon. Um, just just a personal opinion. I still dig Bull Durham. Uh, hard hard ever to beat Bull Durham, and not just because we work here in Durham. I just think that movie just gets it exactly right. Um, but from a humor standpoint, I definitely think Major League has higher highs, some lower lows, some, some bad jokes in there. But it's funny to watch how those guys have gone on in their careers. Wesley Snipes. Dennis Hasbert, of course, like, you know, wasn't he a president in some TV show? Yeah. Um, I didn't watch it. Was he 24? Um, was he the president? Yes. That, yes. Um, you know, Tom Berenger's, like, had a lot of serious roles. Then, obviously, Charlie Sheen has had a very interesting life. It absolutely. He has. <laughs> That's one way to put it. So, uh, speaking of interesting lives, we lead them here at Baseball America, and we had uh, our Major League preview issue, and you know, I was tooling around on this the other day just because I, you know, I, I, it's like I don't have prospects to rank or scouts to call. But I wanted to go over this as we're nearing the end of August, September call-ups. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about what we got right, what we didn't get right in the preseason and uh, in our Major League uh, preview issue. And now we're also going to talk a little bit about yesterday's brawl at Tigers-Yankees brawl, which was a little, uh, a little messed up. It escalated quickly. Yeah. Um, Gary Sanchez, I think if he'd had a trident, he would have used it. He probably would have killed a guy. Um, but we'll get to that later. But, Kyle, I wanted to talk about our preseason picks, starting off, of course, with two that you and I got right. Because um, it goes to the big league season, and because we're on the podcast, we're going to talk about what we got right. Uh, one of the questions, we, we had BA editors answer the biggest questions of 2017. Which team will be the biggest surprise in 2017? You picked the Angels, a healthy rotation and deeper lineup will put Mike Trout and company back in playoff contention. And I picked the Twins. Minnesota's bound to be closer to his 2015-83 win ways than last year's 59 win debacle led by Byron Buxton. So we got the reasons wrong because <laughs> the, the Angels have been better primarily because of incredible defense and a m- nice bounce back season by Hamilton Simmons and some nice managing by Mike Socia. He says that he's gotten the most out of that crop. The Twins have been better despite Byron Buxton's continued offensive struggles. He's had a good but month. He's, but he's had a good but month, over the which is good se- to see. But over his, the course of the season, it's not been. The that. thing is, over the course of the season, he's ba- he and Anderson Simmons actually are analogs for each other on these two teams. These two players, now Simmons has had a much better offensive season than Buxton. But these two guys <clears throat> do win you games with other than their offense. And with Simmons, I think it's a little more subtle at shortstop because – He's just not as flashy. Obviously, his arm is flashy. But he's not as flashy as Buxton, who does it with defense. And then just when he runs the bases, it's just what 
It's like the it's like the zenith of base running, just from it is ease of operation and speed. He he is incredible to watch move. But these two teams are both still in the you know wild card race, and as of now, as of recording this podcast, the Twins are the second wild card, a half game ahead of both Kansas City, which is a half game back in the a game back in the win column, and the Angels, who are a game back in the loss column. And this very jumbled American League wild card race. If we recorded this, I think a week ago, the Angels would have been in it. The right. Twins were out of it, and you know there's right. so many teams involved. I think you know what was important to remember about each of these teams was. Each of these teams were competitive recently. Yeah, and I think both I'll, teams were pretty good in 2015. Right. I mean, you know, just taking the Angels, for example, this was the point I kept making when people kept saying, oh, they should just trade Trout, there's no hope, they're a bad franchise. 2014, they won the most games in the American League. Right. 2015, they were in the playoff race until the final weekend of the season. Right. They didn't. They haven't had a run of bad seasons. They had one bad season where all the pitching got hurt. And this year, it's amazing. The pitching got hurt again. You mentioned for all the reasons that you you know you stated they've been able to stay competitive, but some under the radar acquisitions. I mean, Parker Bridwell, Troy Scribner, yeah. J.C. Ramirez, Bud Norris closing. I mean, none of these were sexy, but sometimes it goes to show a good pro scouting department can win you so many more games than you realize by finding those under the radar guys who, for whatever reason, it didn't work out in their old organizations, but the fresh start allows them to blossom. Yeah, I think both these, one other commonality between these two teams besides uh, up-the-middle defense that we've talked about um, is new general managers. Billy Epler in his second year in uh, Anaheim, Derek Falvey, the CBO, uh, chief baseball officer, and then Thad Levine, the new general manager in Minnesota. Uh, Both these teams have had front office turnover, and... I feel like Epler has actually put a little bit more of his imprint on the big league roster than Falvey because Derek inherited a roster that already had a lot of young talent that just really just, for whatever reason, didn't play well last year. They've played better this year in Minnesota. Let's keep focus on the Angels. I mean, you're Southern Californian and a, a Southlander. Yep. So let's let's focus on the Southland here for a minute. Um, what's the future for this Angels team in September? Do you th- if, if they are to close finish the deal and make the playoffs, Kyle, how will they do it besides Mike Trout's brilliance, Anderson Simmons? Because it seems like those are the two obvious stories. It seems to me, A, they got Andrew Heaney back, but he certainly wasn't uh, peak Andrew Heaney. And, and that's day. what's going to have to be. What Andrew Heaney, you know, it's only been two starts since he's come back. It's been seven home runs allowed in ten innings. And Who does he think he is, Dylan Overton? You know, kind of grooving 91-mile-an-hour quote-unquote sinkers that weren't sinking <laughs> over the heart of the plate to Adrian Beltre. That's not going to work. But I think if the Angels are to jump into this second wild card spot, it's going to be because Andrew Heaney and Tyler Skaggs, who are now you know both back in action, find the form that made them the promising young left-handers they were. Because at the end of the day, well, the Angels have, the keys of the deal. have stayed afloat to elevate yourself and finish the job. You're going to have to have the starting pitching that you were counting on. Mm-hmm. And now that it's back, perform to the level you need it to. Because Parker Bridwell's... Uh, at some point, you think he's probably going to turn back into a pumpkin. But you ride it as long as you can. Hey, hopefully that's 2018 if you're the Angels. Um, you got Ricky Nolasco and Jesse Chavez are healthy, but those guys have been bad. Your three best starters this year have been, in some order, besides Bridwell, Alex Meyer, Matt Shoemaker, J.C. Ramirez. All three of those guys are on the DL right now. So at some point, 
Oh, what, what's the prognosis for those three starters? Are any of those guys going to be healthy anytime soon off the top of your head? I, I'm putting you on the spot here off on the top, Angels. Off the top of my head, uh, not, uh, not, not, not sure exactly what each of their prognosis is. Well, I just love the fact that you well, look well, at Andrew... Uh, well, Shoemaker's gone for the year because he had the forearm surgery. Oh, that's right. That's, I mean, he's, he's not coming back. But Andrew Haney has given up more home runs in two games than basically everyone in the Angels' bullpen, with the exception of Keenan Middleton, who've been there you know, 38 innings or more, Plus, uh, more than Alex Meyer, who made 13 starts. Alex Meyer was one of those, you know, um, that was a lottery ticket, good chance to take. Uh, another link between Minnesota and uh, the Angels, and that he finally pitched, you know, well in the major leagues for the first time this year. Yeah, no, it was good to see. I mean, right now he's kind of working his way back from uh, some shoulder issues. You hope he can come back. And, you know, pivoting to the Twins, I, I do feel like for them, John, you know, they've, they've hung on, I think, longer than I think a lot of people thought they would. You know, they had, you know, a nice, some nice play uh, at various points in the season. But mm-hmm. I think if you ask people, hey, are they going to be on August 25th in a wild card spot? Right. I think a lot of people would have been surprised to hear that. What for you is going to be the key for them to finish the job? Because, you know, their division mates, the Royals are right there. You've got teams like, you know, Texas who have been in the heat of September before and know how to turn it up a notch. Right. How do the Twins... Over, you know, overcome all these other teams. The crazy thing to me about the Twins is this team was in it, and then they had a bad July, remember? And so in July, they trade all-star closer Brandon Kinsler. I mean, like, you know, you gave up uh, the ghost last night for the for the Nationals. But they trade Kinsler, and then they trade Jaime Garcia, whom they just acquired. So those two, like, Jaime Garcia was supposed to boost their rotation, and I think he had the only two games they won while he was there were games that he started, and they lost every other game, and that's why they traded him again. And then Kinsler was their closer. Now their current closer, I guess, is sort of Matt Belisle. They're doing, I mean, they're, they're they're doing, doing the no, no quote unquote proven yeah. closer, capital P, capital C. They're sort of uh, mixing and, it around. And to replace Jaime Garcia, they picked up Bartolo Colon. <laughs> so um, this is unexpected, I think, for Minnesota. Um, and I think they're playing with house money already. But again, the reason I thought they would contend or at least be closer to five hundred this year, again, I just thought it was this was actually, and I'm not. Captain Analytics. This was just analytics to me. They won 83 games the previous year. That was a little bit better than I think people thought. But they only won 59 in 2016. They weren't as bad as 59 wins. They weren't as good as 83 wins. I thought they'd be like a 75-win team this year. That's really what I expected. That would have been a 16-game improvement over 59 wins. That's why I they were kind of like going to be the surprise team. Um, they're on pace. They're 10 wins away from that, but I'm not confident they'll get 10 more wins, honestly, because right now, outside of Irvin Santana... They don't have a consistent starting pitcher. So the key to me, to them, has been Jose Barrios all year and the young guys, the guys who we touted as prospects, being effective big leaders. Max Kepler, Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, Jose Barrios. These are the keys to whether this team is going to contend or not. And the first half, um, Jose Barrios was outstanding. And, you know... We saw last night, the wheels came off a little bit. And that's it. So when he doesn't... When he's not locked in, when he's not at his best, and the previous year was tipping his pitches, and other years it's been he can't get to his changeup, which is really his put-away pitch, even though he throws hard. When his fastball's in the strike zone, it's very hittable. So, um, you know, for me, Barrios is one of the big keys. Um, He's still been outstanding at home. He's been hammered pretty consistently on the road this year. Uh, so for me, it's really the, the the keys are continuing to piece this bullpen together. I mean, like, is really are they going to be able to have Travis? I mean, Trevor Hildenberger 
pitch key innings for them in a pennant race in September. I'll say right now they're planning it. I mean, there's there's been a lot of uh, you know quote unquote scrappy bullpen guys who have ended up being October heroes. I, right. I think I think really for me it goes back to. Like you mentioned, you've got to have the starting pitching that can, you know, carry you through September. It's, Both the, these end, teams. it's the end of the season. It's the final stretch. A lot of these guys are not going to have their best stuff every day out anymore, and we're going to find out. I, I will say for the Twins, you mentioned that that group of players. It's not like this is their one shot. I mean, they've got a right. nice young group. They can really look, you know, look to build, build. I don't want to say build around because I think. There are going to be other guys who are core caliber players that will come up, yeah. especially if Royce Lewis keeps ascending. But yeah. you know, guys that you can you know add, keep adding to this as your as your foundation. It's a nice start. I agree. And another uh, one last thing about them is Miguel Sano coming back off this injury. I just think it's it's really stark. I've seen a couple people write about this in Minnesota, but I know Mike Berardino was the first guy I saw write about this. But how much better Sano hits when he's playing third base, even when he plays a bad third base. His, his bat is so much better when he your, plays your third base. Your comfort level on the field in one area filters down to all of theirs, and I think that gets lost in some of the analytical yeah. you know, revolutions that when people are comfortable in whatever professional role they're in, that affects every aspect of their professional life. That's true whether you're an accountant. That's yeah. true whether you're a lawyer. That's true whether writer. you're a baseball player. Yeah, and, a and I think people lose that. I do want to give credit. Teddy Cahill picking the Diamondbacks as that was a another good back one. team. I mean, that, that's, that, that's that was a good one. You know, and that that was a preseason pick. We also had uh, three shadow executives who made their picks, and one of the executives picked the, picked the Diamondbacks as well. And I guess that was really. I mean, I, I don't. I didn't see t- Teddy's reasoning in here beyond. Well, he uh, said a bounce back from Shelby Miller, which right. he got hurt, so it wasn't that. Yeah, but. that was the one that he mentioned. But they have had bounce backs from Zach Greinke and AJ Pollock, a healthy AJ Pollock. But both the Diamondbacks and the, the National League wildcard race actually has tightened up a lot. The Diamondbacks and the Rockies have both uh, fallen back a bit. They're both only four games up in the loss column on Milwaukee and St. Louis and only five games up in the loss column on Miami. That's, I mean, that's a lot. But the Miami Marlins are kind of in this, even under 500. Um, so I don't think – I think I, I think at the midway point we all kind of thought this was just, okay, this is going to be the two West teams – it's not 100%, but Arizona has had a nice bounce-back year this year. and It seems like, to me, Pollock and Greinke have been the two biggest factors. You know, one of the things with the Diamondbacks, when you looked at the names on that roster, that was a really, really talented team. You look one through nine in the lineup, and even the pitching staff. Yeah, depth so, was a big issue for them last year. When they had injuries and stars who didn't perform, they didn't have the depth to come up with that. And, to then, make up for and it. especially on the pitching side, I mean, you know, it was. Be, I mean, Patrick Corbin had taken steps back. Zach yeah. Granke had taken steps back. Shelby Miller took steps back. So you saw a lot of these pitchers. You know, Braden Shipley had not been the player they thought. Archie Bradley, they tried to start last year, it didn't work out. But right. now he's been one of the best late inning relievers in baseball. I must have thrown one other uh, joker in here. Zach Godley. Zach he's Godley, and... I think, has been the best starting pitcher that Jason McLeod has drafted since Clay Buckholtz. And, I mean, he never gets talked about by Cubs fans. I don't quite know why. He was a senior sign, 2013 pick by the Cubs in the 10th round. And all this guy's done this year is throw 117 fairly quality innings. He doesn't give up a lot of hits. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs. And he throws hard. And he's I, I've, always, str- I mean, I've always been kind of, like, intrigued by Zach Godley. I've always thought he was pretty good. I didn't think he'd be this good. But I always thought he was a dude – um, I remember arguing with Bill Mitchell about ranking Zach Godley in the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, and 
he has very stealthily been a very solid. I mean, you look at back of the rotation guy. This Ninety year. hits allowed in 117 innings, and he he's, throws hard. He's striking out a batter. It's like he's you know soft tossing up there. Right. It's 124 Ks in 117 innings. When that's your fifth starter, you're in great shape. And, you know, and Taiwan Walker again is a guy who. Look, let's just be frank. The Mariners, under their old regime, rushed players Correct way too quickly. I mean, there was the great stat where at one point Mike Zanino had more major league strikeouts than minor league games played. <laughs> I mean, there was just a horrendous track record of rushing guys, and Taiwan Walker was it was it was one of those guys. He's twenty four. Yeah, this is the he age. He feels where older than that, he's, but he's twenty four. He's just figuring it out, and it was a great move by the Diamondbacks. I mean, that trade worked out for both sides, Segura for Walker. Uh, being the crux of it. I, I do feel like with Diamondbacks getting Granky bouncing back, Corbin bouncing back, Godley and you know Robbie Ray, who was good last year, took another step before he took yeah. uh, you know the the scary linebacker off his dome. Yes. And now you all of a sudden you take that stacked offensive, you know, you know, op- offensive team, which even with some of those, you know, now that they're getting healthy, you have guys like Drury and Owings who can yeah. fill in, play multiple spots. It's a it's a deeper uh, lineup than it is a pitching staff, but the pitching staff, that, that Taiwan Walker acquisition was I pretty mean, crucial. He, and, here's, and here's the crazy thing, right? The Diamondbacks, it's not just, oh, they're, you know, leading the wild card. They have the third most wins in the National League. Right. It's the Dodgers, <laughs> it's the Nationals, and then it's the Diamondbacks. Not the Cubs, not, you know, the traditional powerhouses. Yeah, the National League Central has been one big disappointment. But, the you know, the Cubs are, again, kind of heating up. My Cubs theory, basically, uh, and, you know, one of our categories was picking the World Series. And, uh, honestly, every single person except for Matt Eddy, uh, Matt Eddy was the only person who did not pick the Cubs to win the National League pennant on our staff. He picked the Dodgers. He's looking prescient there. But I'll be honest with you, to me, this Cubs team reminds me of the 1999 Yankees in a lot of ways. The Yankees in 98, you know, the 96 Yankees won the World Series. 97, they got knocked out by the Indians in the playoffs. 98 team won 114 games in the regular season, 11 more in the playoffs, won the World Series. Honestly, like start to finish, greatest season in baseball history. 125 wins. And they won the World Series. I mean, like, that's just the best season. Fun fact, me. I was nine years old in the stands at old Qualcomm Stadium at Games 3 and 4 of the World Series. Nice. Those Yankees that's teams. outstanding. Yankees teams. Hey, great to see you there, Kyle. Sorry, ghost of Tony Gwynn speaking. <laughs> I love my Tony Gwynn impression. But, um, so, 1999 Yankees, they were just bored. They won 87 games. Their starting pitching was in the toilet for most of the regular season. But when it came time to post, this veteran pitching staff and then youngish Andy Pettit got their act together and they won the World Series, and they cruised the postseason, too. And they cruised, they swept the Braves, dropped them aside that they were nothing. Remember, I think that was the World Series where Reggie Sanders reminded us again, yeah, Reggie Sanders and the postseason did not go together. Hey, he one with the Diamondbacks. He was the starting red fielder on that team that won it all. I thought he was the guy who got replaced by Denny Batista, though. I'm pretty oh, sure that he yeah, was really he bad been. in the he postseason. Anyway, Spartanburg Methodist represent, and that's where he went, and Zach Godley. Both Spartanburg Methodist JC go. guys, so it all uh, it all goes back but to the draft. It's, it's interesting comparison. I, but but the, I think the Cubs are going to be formidable in the postseason again, and I do think they're nothing says that the manager himself is bored like playing Anthony Rizzo at third base in a in a game just for the hell of it, just because they can. This team is bored now. Can they get their act back together in the postseason? Well, that remains to be seen. But I'm not confident that they can. But if they do, that season will very be very similar 
to 99 Yankees. Real quick, I do want to say to the Reggie Sanders defense, looks like he hit 304 with a 360 on base in that 01 World Series. So he, did. He, did. He, he did. He did. He actually did all right. Yeah, um, that was that was his uh, best World Series because for his career in the postseason, 195, 283, 326. Yeah. But we digress. <laughs> you um, know, I, it was interesting, actually. I remember when I made this prediction, I was going very, very... You could Cubs, Cubs over Red Sox. Right, but I... There was a... It was going to be the Cubs or the Dodgers, and I came down to the last minute. I thought that those were the two teams that would probably win the World Series if they got there. I ultimately picked the Cubs simply because we had talked about this. The Dodgers with their track record of, God, by the time they got to October, their pitching wasn't healthy anymore. Right, they were a one-and-a-half pitcher They kept having to go, you know. In the rotation. I mean. you know, and someone made the point, I thought it was interesting, the Kershaw versus Bumgarner postseason debate. One of the points they made was Bumgarner had never started on short rest. He had that game where he came out of the bullpen in Kansas City, mm-hmm. and that was amazing. But in terms of the course of his postseason career, he always had regular rest. Kershaw kept getting thrown out there on three days rest right. every single year, and it hurt him. And now that I feel like, though, the Dodgers, we've seen the pitching depth be better this year. They've added you Darvish, and it's changed it a little bit. I, I, at the beginning of the year, it was kind of a toss-up to me. I gave the Cubs the edge. You know, I'm not 100% convinced that the Cubs beat the Dodgers in the NLCS. They very well could. I'm not going to say they won't. They yeah. can't. But I'll I, be honest with you. I, think that I actually think the Nationals match up better with the, with the Dodgers. And uh, outside of Dusty Baker's postseason history, I love the way the Nationals are shaping up. They're getting guys back healthy. They had the scare of Bryce Harper's knee. And when that guy comes back, he's going to be a terror. And the bullpen is fixed. I know they blew it last night. Because basically, because Dusty Baker, and this is why players love playing for Dusty Baker. He's like, you know what? I want Brandon Kinsler to get 30 saves. So he tried to get him a save last night, and Kinsler blew it. I bet you he doesn't do that again until they've clinched the postseason. But Kinsler and Ryan Madsen and Sean Doolittle have totally changed their bullpen. They've got three guys who can close, but moreover, they've got three guys. Hey, Kinsler, if you need a ground ball, Brandon Kinsler's going to come in and roll you a ground ball. You need a strikeout, Ryan Madsen can get you a strikeout. You need a save. Sean Dulo can get you that save. So I, I like their bullpen a lot better. I think that I agree. Richard Justice tweeted the other day that their their bullpen ERA before but, the trade was like 490, and since the trade's like 330. So it's still not the best bullpen in baseball, but it's not an Achilles heel anymore either. There's no question it's made them more competitive. I think there's just so many ghosts passed when you talk about Dusty Baker, bullpen management in the postseason, even dating back to last year, that disastrous seventh inning where he tried to change the pitcher every oh, it was single a disaster. Better, you know, And I think that's one of those things where... But offensively, this lineup, oh, I mean, the, the Dodgers, one of the reasons the Dodgers keep making moves and got Curtis Granderson, their lineup still had, I think, some well, iffy as, as spots. Soon, as soon as Jock Peterson really started yeah. to go back into the, hey, I'm just going to swing at everything and not going to get on base enough to justify it, yeah. it became a problem. But I, I, I like the way both teams match up. I, I mean, the weak spot in the Nationals lineup is either Matt Wieters or Trey Turner when he's healthy. That's their weak spot. Like, Michael Taylor's been perfectly holding his own. Brian Goodwin found power. Brian Goodwin was good when he was healthy this year. Um, They've got depth. They've got a bench. They've got a manager that people like to play for. They're getting Jason Worth back. They're getting Bryce Harper back. They're going to get Trey Turner back. I'm confident Trey Turner will come back. Um, They're not going to get Adam Eaton back, but um, I like this team. And the other key to me for the Nats is they're not depending on Steven Strasburg. They know that their main guy is Max Scherzer, and the way he's pitched this year, their number two guy is Gio Gonzalez. So I still think Stealth the Nats are the team. for comeback player of the year. Gio he's, Gonzalez, what he is, how he's baseball turned it reference around. On baseball reference war, he leads all major league pitchers in baseball reference war. So, I mean, this is after three straight years of being worse. Every single year, yeah. regressing, 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 and then boom. 
I mean, turned it around. He's always been a guy who's going to walk a lot of guys, but 6.6 hits per nine. So that's the thing for the Nationals. Yeah. They're hard to hit. Uh, their top three starters, Geo, uh, Steven Strasburg, Mike, Max Scherzer, those guys get a lot of strikeouts and don't give up a lot of hits. Don't give up that many home runs either. So I, I still kind of like the Nationals, but no one, <laughs> no one on our staff picked the Nationals uh, and, to win the pennant. So. And, and we'll, we'll see. I mean, keep in mind, we still got another uh, two months between now and the World Series, so yeah. it might not be right. I, I do want to. One of the things that's interesting, Please. we're talking about the good teams. I want to flip to the bad teams. Absolutely. That's where I was headed next. One of the things, top three picks in the 2018 draft, we had all sorts of combinations. We all thought the Potters would be the number one pick. They've been better. They're uh, they're right now, I think, sixth or seventh worst in the NL, which is way better than we thought they'd be. None of us yeah. had the Phillies in any order of the bottom three. And I, I just, it's kind of interesting to me because now you look at the Phillies and you look at the roster and it's like, man, how did we miss that? Because for... <laughs> The team they were rolling out, and I, I say this in all seriousness, when I was on, you know, we did our MLB uh, swing in May, and just the way the schedule lined up, I saw the Padres twice and the Phillies twice. At the time, the Phillies had a better record than the Padres. Mm-hmm. But it was crystal clear watching these two teams which team had more talent on the field. It was stunning. Yeah. The lack of talent on the field the Phillies were putting out there. Now, at the time, Odubel Herrera was in a horrible slump. He's turned it around. But the Phillies, man, I mean... It's it's a mess. The team they were putting out there for a good chunk of the summer wasn't just like, oh, you know, we're past the point of some of these guys underperforming. They're just not... Michael Franco's just... Just not good players. At some point, he might bounce back, but the chances of that are lower, I think, now than they used to be. And they've gotten a little boost. Aaron Nola's come back healthy. He's been excellent. That's the biggest boost they've gotten, for sure, is that they actually have a front-line starter in Aaron Nola who gives them a chance to compete with anybody, and he... Yeah, he protects his. You know, he pitches. His, he pitches inside when he needs to. He's learned to do that. He's made the progression that you want. You know, you, number seven overall pick. And this is a small sidebar. Um, our esteemed uh, friend and uh, former colleague here, Jim Callis, wrote something the other day about this upcoming 2018 draft class being the best since 2011. I just want to say, 2014 draft says hello. And Aaron Nola was part of that 2014 draft class. That was a really loaded college draft class with Conforto and Schorber and Nola and Turner. Rodon and Trey Turner and Jeff Hoffman. I mean, that was a lo- – Eric Fetty. Was, was Kyle, a, Kyle Freeland? Uh, yeah, I think he was. Yeah. That was a loaded draft class. So, And those guys, a lot of those guys are having major league success already, and Nola's part of that. So yeah. I don't think the 2018 draft class will actually sniff the 2014 college draft class. Maybe the, the 2014 high school class, this, this one looks like it's going to be better in 2018 – but college class to college class, 2014, way better than 2018. I digress. Either way, the Phillies are going to have a chance to you know, add a player. I think what's helped them is, look, they DFA'd Michael Saunders. That was not going well. And they started giving okay. playing time to Nick Williams, who's been yes. really impressive. Reese Hoskins has come up. and Also you know, impressive. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where, again, we knew he was good. We had him on our top 100. But when you saw him in the Futures game and saw him come through with Lehigh Valley, it was one of those guys, as soon as you saw him, you're like, He's better than we even realized. In the South Atlantic League, when his first full pro year in 2015, and he had this pretty monster year, I remember debating him for the South League Top 20 with JJ. And I was talking, we, we, I just remember we, we were trying. It was really hard to find scouts who were bearing down on him, like when they were doing their pro coverage, who were focusing on Reese Hoskins. Because the discussions we have were, okay, first of all, right, right first baseman, who did not play other positions in college. He was either left field or first base. I don't love that profile. I love the guys. I prefer the guys who move from other positions to first base because they hit so much. And I think the clubs, I like that because that's what's worked. Second of all, though, he hit in the cape. 
but he didn't hit in college. Only nine home runs his junior season at Sacramento State after really hitting very well in the Cape Cod League. And we were just both skeptical. There was a healthy skepticism, but I think I was more skeptical than J.J. J.J. was an early adopter of Reese Hoskins, but I do, I, do, I do remember last year in the Eastern League, our feedback consistently that Josh Norris got was Hoskins greater than Dylan Cousins. And Dylan Cousins got a lot of hype because he had such big numbers and he did steal 20 bases, but he's like, yeah, he can run, but not a smooth athlete. And he's a good Hoskins versus Cousins is a great lesson. In general, take the prospect with the better hit tool. And this guy can hit. He's got strength, but he's also got bat speed and a discerning eye. Those are three elements that play well, whether in the Cape Cod League, the WAC, the South Atlantic League, or now the major leagues. One of the things that was really just so eye-opening to me was I think a lot of times people say, oh, the big right-right first baseman, he's going to be stiff. Like That's their natural default assumption. And one of the things people still don't seem to realize is how good of an athlete Paul Goldschmidt is. Right. This guy has stolen. He's twenty. He's a twenty twenty guy. Absolutely. Every and year a, and a premium defender and a premium base. defender. But they see God. He's so big and bulky, and he's a first baseman. He's you know right right. There's no way that guy can move. Actually, and the thing with Reese Hoskins, he's not soon, Goldschmidt. He's, he's not, not Goldschmidt. He's not that athletic. But he's not. But, but he's not you, stiff. But when you saw him post the highest, the bat speeds he was posting were elite level, the top of the class bat speeds. Not Ronald Acuna, not Victor Robles, not you know, the not Vlad Guerrero, not the the toolsy, young, yeah. exciting. It's that guy. When you have that bat speed, with that strength, with that plate discipline, forget profile. That guy's going to mash in the major leagues for a long time and yeah, be I'm incredibly I'm, impactful. I, and I, I agree. Watching him in the Futures game and just seeing that bat speed, that was that's the difference maker for me. Is that and, and then, he then, is not stiff. And then a week later, you know, coming and seeing him when he played for Lehigh Valley in Durham, you know, again, just one you talked to those guys. One of those guys that, you know, you can look at as a profile, but then as soon as you see it with your own eyes, it's like, oh, right, this guy's really good. Yeah, NorCal represent again Sacramento yep. team Sacramento. <laughs> um, I'm gonna be putting the Sacramento. I'm on just Sacramento and Las Vegas to man the next baseball, uh, the World Baseball Classic for Team USA. Team USA will be fine. We'll just put it together from Elk Grove guys and and, and uh, other Sacramento area schools, and then Vegas, and, and we'll be fine. So I will say, you know, the Phillies, while they're gonna, they've been the worst team. At least you can say now in August with Nick Williams up and performing, Reese Hoskins up and performing, Aaron Nola back, they at least look a little better than they did in May. They might catch uh, in the bad way for them. They might catch the Giants, and don't forget these things change quickly. You remember that right. the Rangers when the Rangers just collapsed in September of 2015, no, 16, no, 15, 14. It was 14, 14 when, when they the picked place. fourth for, with Dylan Tate um, the next year. Dylan Tate was bouncing back with the Yankees, by the way. Um, but the, 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 that was just all September when Ron Washington had his cocaine allegations, or admission, I should say, and they just fell apart. They wound up fourth in the draft class, and they pushed down some other teams you can lose bonus money that uh, you can pay, uh, you know, your bonus, part of your bonus pool. Um, right now, the Giants would pick second. I'm trying to remember the last time the Giants picked that high, and I'm not going to look it up. And then the White Sox are right in that race as well. And the White Sox and, and the Reds, these teams are, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say actively tanking, even though they are, but they're a little bit, some teams are better at tanking than others. Yeah, I think the, White the White Sox, Sox I think, are in full tank mode with Lucas Giolito up in the big leagues. Carson Fulmer. Carson Fulmer's up in the big leagues. Ronaldo Lopez, if he were healthy, would be in their rotation. Um, and, and, of course, a middle infield of Yoan Moncada and, and Tim Anderson. These two guys, 
there's a whole lot of swing and miss in those two guys. I mean, there's a lot of athleticism and a lot of talent, but also a lot of rough edges for both those guys right now. You know, the, you mentioned the White Sox. I think we knew this was the direction they were heading. The Reds, they've been bad for so long, and it's clear they've had issues. Yeah, the, to, John, to, the Reds to, and the White Sox were both in a lot of top three picks in the draft that we long to in our predictions, but the Giants, the Giants weren't in anyone's. And, and the thing with the Giants, I think they're a team that for years now you can look, you could look at their roster and say, there's holes here, there's holes here, but... You know, whether it's the magic of Bruce Bochy, that core they could always lean on, they were always good. So at yeah. a certain point, you just kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you could have realistically looked at the Giants' rosters 2015-2016, too, and found holes and said, gosh, I don't know. But you know what? They found they ways competed. To, they competed, they contend, they made postseasons. I mean, and then this year, it just collapsed. I'll tell you why it collapsed. The short answer is this is a young man's game. And the Giants have more key players 30 and older than the other teams we're talking about. Mark Melanson, closer, 32 years old, big offseason acquisition. I mean, he's been effective when he's been healthy, but 30-plus guys don't stay healthy in baseball anymore. Um, Brandon Crawford's 30, and he's been fine defensively, but obviously offensively he's really struggled. Eduardo Nunez was their best player, but another 30-year-old. They were relying on a lot of 30-plus-year-olds. But Denard Spann, Hunter Pence... Um, and then a, most crucially, I think, on the mound, right. uh, the you know, Matt Cain really... still signed, and he's, he's done at 32. Jeff Samarja at least goes to the post every time for them. But, you know, they, they wrapped up, locked up, and went out and acquired a lot of 30-plus players. I mean, Denard Spann, when they signed him, was, what, 31 years old, 32 years old? And they haven't. You know, they've tried, but they have not developed outfielders around him. I mean, so now you're left playing Gorky's Hernandez 100-plus times. I mean, so they had – more holes. They've always had holes. The thing is, their older players just turning, I don't know if you say turning into pumpkins, just declining because it's a young man's game right now. Um, that's really shown, and they haven't developed, uh, they haven't kept developing a young regular. They kept, they did it for years and years. You know, all credit to their farm system, but the last couple of years after, since Joe Panic, the young position players have come up with are guys like Kelby Tomlinson, uh, you know, Christian Arroyo and Austin Slater. Who Slater certainly had his moments this year. Arroyo did not in the big leagues. The, no, the, none of these are impact guys. The Mac Williamson and Jared Parkers. They needed those guys. One of those guys to figure it out in left field, and they didn't. So, the, to me, that's where the Giants. The Giants are an organization that I'm not saying they need to blow it up, but man, they. I think that's an organization, a, a big league roster, in need of an overhaul because these 30 plus year olds, they are not going to come back. To be stars, maybe one or two will have a, what JJ Cooper was like to call the dead cat bounce, <laughs> but I don't see it for the whole roster. So I actually foresee the Giants being in real rebuild mode for a while, a rebuild mode for a while here. And the big question is, if they are going to be in rebuild mode, what do you do with Bumgarner and Posey? And I think those are still cornerstones you keep. But you know, one of the guys, you know, we talk about this. People taking, you know, hey, guys, can, pitchers come back from surgeries now. Tommy John's no problem, right? Matt Moore. Matt Moore says, hello. It's been, I mean, he's 28. It's not like he's an older guy, but yeah. the injuries have clearly taken a toll. I mean, you look at him now, it's a 5.38 ERA. It's 169 hits and 149 innings. Oh, what's a disaster. It's it's not good. He is a hittable left-handed pitcher who just... I think you know, he's last in the National League among qualifiers in ERA. 22 home runs. I mean, it's not just he's getting hit, he's getting hit hard, and injuries have taken a toll. I, I will say, you know, you mentioned you didn't know the last time the Giants picked this high. Your answer, 2009, sixth overall, Zach Wheeler. 
Well, they, at least they used him for half a season of Carlos Beltran, yeah. <laughs> you know. You but know. like, but what about picking second? I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I don't know. Yeah, the last time, I mean, when they've is... ever, I don't think the Giants have ever picked first overall. To be totally honest, it's it's not a good place for them to be at. But you know what? We've seen teams turn around before. I mean, just to even, you know, use the Giants as an example. Uh, you know, in two thousand and eight, they were in fourth place. They were seventy two and ninety. And two thousand ten, they were World Series champs. Correct. It, it's amazing how. You know, it's, that's why it's fun to me. A lot of teams talk about, a lot of pundits, I should say, oh, well, they're not going to be good for three years. Do you know how many teams have been good a year later that you yeah. never expected to be good or two years later? So it's always foolish to me to say, oh, well, they're not going to be competitive for three years. Yeah, no, it's, it's very hard to see the future. We try. Um, I will say on the Baseball America all-time draft database, just baseballamerica.com slash all-time draft DB with hyphens in between each of those words. Uh, you can look up, and the Giants, in fact, never have picked first overall. When they've picked high, I will give this organization credit, they've picked well. In 1985, Giants picked second overall, Will Clark. Now, that was a great draft, but Will Clark was a good pick. Um, 1986, the next year, picked third overall, Matt Williams, like the good Matt Williams. And then the next highest draft pick in club history. In 1997, they picked fourth overall, picked Jason Grilly. Now, that didn't work out necessarily for them, but he did have a long it's career. A great not, career. It was not, not a busted pick career. But not a busted pick. Not a terrible pick. And then, of course, in uh, 2008, fifth overall, Buster Posey, or as a Baseball America staffer once said in, staff, in a staff meeting, Busty Poser. My favorite <laughs> anagram of all time. Uh, Busty Poser is a fifth. And, and I mean, it's an easy porn name. You know, and Buster the Giants, Posey. I think, have had... The guys that are in charge now are the same guys that got them three World Series rings in five years. Right. You give them the benefit of the doubt, they'll figure it out. And, and even as painful as this season has been, if you told a Giants fan base that hadn't won a World Series since 1950s and said, hey, we'll give you three World Series in oh, yeah. five years, but the cost is you're going to stink for two or three years after it, sign me up. Oh, I always say, I mean, like, the, 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 the Giants have had arguably – I'm not saying that this is the case, but they've argue, you can make the argument they've had the two best players in the integration era in baseball history, Barry Bonds and Willie Mays. And yet, the most important Giants player since they moved to San Francisco is Buster Posey, for me. And the second most is Madison Bumgarner. Those are the two unifying factors behind this franchise winning three World Series in, in, in this, you know, since 2010. And those two are still performing. I don't think you need to move them. You can still But Bumgarner them. is team option for the next two years. I, he's, he's fairly controllable. He's fairly... Uh, you pick uh, him up. I'm just saying the Atlanta Braves have... <laughs> if you want to rebuild, the Braves can give you a raft of prospects with which to rebuild for Madison Bumgarner. And do the Giants feel confident that when Madison Bumgarner is 29 years old that they're going to be able to re-sign him? I just don't know. So I'm saying if you have to do an overhaul, that is a pretty tempting piece with which to overhaul. That is a, an attractive trade chip and a guy who I think has, especially the way he's pitching since he's come back from that shoulder injury, he's not a maximum velocity, but he is showing you he's still Madison Bumgarner right now. So, you know, Posey is signed through 2021. They're not trading Buster Posey. No. But I could see them trading Madison Bumgarner. Plus, he is the guy who just, you said, please don't drive ATVs, and he wrecked his shoulder doing it. So I'm not saying they should trade him, but I do think it's logical for them to entertain trade offers for Madison Bumgarner. So. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but there's, there's also no such thing as an untouchable player. At least listen. But, you know, an interesting guy of a case where – you can pick a guy, 
and now especially position players, which is where the Giants really need some help. And within a year, he's making an impact for your franchise, is Alex Bregman, who yeah. Vince Lara, our web editor, breakout correctly star. pegged. You know, look at these breakout star lists. That's the guy. I mean, Carlos Correa, I think, was already kind of a star. So he right. was taking it to another level before he got hurt. But well, All the guys who picked pictures on here have lived to regret it, and that includes me. Although Carlos Martinez has been good, but he hasn't been, like, superstar. But we had picks of Julio Urias, Lance McCullers Jr., Kevin uh, Gosman. Just very difficult to peg a breakout for a pitcher, I think. And no they're just question. so volatile. You know, and Alex Bregman's a guy, I mean, he's a twenty fifteen draft. He was in the majors by twenty sixteen, and by twenty seventeen he's performing at a bona fide superstar level. What he's been doing these last few months, I mean, it's numbers that no one else in the game can really compare to. Yeah, I just want to remind very people few, also, like say. Alex Bregman. We've always been a little light on Alex Bregman, and I will remind people. I mean, although we had him, I don't remember where we had him in our 2015. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up on the BA 500, where we had him that year. I know we had him ahead of Kevin Newman. I'll say that. So, um, but even last year before the futures game, so there's stories about Alex Bregman sliding into people's DMs. I will tell a story about Alex Bregman sliding into my DMs, but I think it was actually Michael Ladana's DMs that he did this to. When Alex Bregman, when our midseason top 100 came out. And we had Swanson ahead of Bregman. My story that year at the Futures game, actually, I remember this now. The last, I was telling you, say, I, I'm, I'm happy with my columns from the last three Futures games, where I did Trey Turner in 2015. Uh, I did Bregman v. Swanson in 2016 in San Diego. And this year, Brent Honeywell. And the Bregman-Swanson one stemmed from, I think we had Swanson 1 and Bregman 7. And Alex Bregman took a screenshot of that, circled it, like, that he was behind uh, Dansby was like, LOL, whatever, and DM that to, I believe it was to Mike Ladana. So we had Bregman four on the BA 500 that year. It was Rogers, Swanson, Tate, Bregman, Daz Cameron, um, with uh, Kyle Tucker eight and Andrew Benintendi nine. Uh, and those three college players went in the top seven, those three college hitters that went really high. Um, Bregman's and, and, and Benintendi have been the two best of those guys. I think Bregman's been better than Benintendi. A little this more impact. Year. He's streaky yes. is what we see with Alex Bregman. Yes. That's the thing you wouldn't expect out of a guy who's short, uh, strong-bodied, compact swing. I think, I but think, he's a very streaky hitter. I do think that some of that is him getting you know acclimated to the pro game. There's always going to be ups and downs for guys. And it's again, He was he, super streaky last year when he came up. Right, and this is his first full season. I mean, I, I think that's going to somewhat to be expected. But he's an incredible talent. And I think, again, if we talk about these teams like you know the Phillies, the Giants, etc., you have that one or number one, two, three pick, and you can grab a guy who, you know, like an Alex Bregman, who can get up to help you in a year or two with an impact bat, especially playing in the dirt. You can get back to contention a lot quicker than you think. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, before we wrap up, I did want to touch on somebody that we've kind of talked around. We've talked a little around the Phillies. We've talked about streaky players. You know, J.P. Crawford uh, has been a subject that's gotten a lot of attention. I just was DMing with Jim Salisbury. Our midseason top 100, uh, Kyle, uh, we dropped JP. I think he'd been number ten in our preseason. He's actually in this in this same major league preview issue. We did best tools in the minor leagues and best defensive infielder number one JP Crawford. Crawford is the archetype of the tall, rangy shortstop that's become common in the last decade. In the field, his combination of body control, athleticism, smooth actions, and solid instincts make him a smooth fielding plus defender. Plus, the guy could hit. Now, he struggled in AAA at the end of 2016 and struggled mightily in the first half of 2017. And so we dropped him pretty significantly. And on this podcast that I recorded at the Futures game with Jim Salisbury of CSN Philly, 
Um, so, you know, we just don't see him as an impact player anymore. We just don't see him as that guy who's the franchise linchpin going forward. And J.P. Crawford tweeted, all it is is motivation. And there have been a load of stories um, about J.P. Crawford since then and how he's picked up his season since basically Baseball America dropped him in the rankings and I made those comments. Um, and you saw him when Lehigh, Lehigh Valley came through here. Right was he was starting to pick it back up. Also when he was like, no, I'm not talking to Baseball America. What's your take on this J.P. Crawford resurgence? And why, uh, I mean, like, why did it take us banging him? He won 10.25 OPS in July, 8.48 in August. Why did it take us banging on him for him to rediscover his power and prospect and ability to hit AAA pitching? It's human nature anytime someone says, you know, you're not good at this or this isn't working. You're, you're going to, it's going to add chip to your shoulder. And that's true, again, baseball players you know, just life, you know, your, your ex says something like, oh, you're never going to be good enough for me. What do you do? You get in the gym and get in the best shape of your life and go out and, you know, show you can do better. I mean, that's just a little bit of human nature there. Um, you know, with JP, and again, I, I, what have I, since, since, you know, you hired me a year ago, what have I said about JP Crawford? He is a good player who will play shortstop in the major leagues. Who's more on base than hit. I think JP, and that's exactly what JP Crawford still is. I think was he, you know, is he going to be a guy who's posting perennial 800 to 1,000 OPSs in the majors? No. But, right. you know, is he a non-prospect can't play? No, of course and that's not. It. So we, had him in the, we still had I mean, him in the top 100. top 100. We just said, like, solid average player and shortstop and, and, high floor, not an impact. And, and the thing is, you know, what I think people need to understand, too, is it's not like us just making that up. That's consistent feedback from scouts, scouting directors, right. general managers who say, you know, pretty clearly. And, and we went back and looked at the data. Guys who struggled to that level at AAA, even at age 21. Yeah. It was not a good track record of guys who ended up becoming anything more than, you know, fringe average to average-ish big leaguers. The guys who become stars, even at 21, perform to a much higher level at AAA. I agree. I do think it's telling of what we were talking about earlier on Michael Franco, that Crawford's played the last five games at third base. I don't think it says that he can't play shortstop because I think he can. But Freddie Galvis versus Michael Franco right now, it looks like the Phillies value Freddie Galvis more than Michael Franco. Well, you I can't ca- say I blame him. You kind of have to. I yeah. mean, I mean, and not that Freddie Galvis is a superstar. And again, I think we see, especially everyone, you know, it's a copycat league. Everyone sees the Cubs playing everyone everywhere. So now they're trying to, you know, hey, let's right. have everyone be able to play everywhere. I mean, look, J.P. Crawford's still a shortstop. He's a really, really good shortstop. You see that any, every time he takes the field, you know, Will he play some third base at certain points in his career? Sure. Guys move around the infield. I mean, that's just the nature of baseball nowadays. But he's a shortstop. I still think that's the yeah. guy when you go down the road and say... I think you look at what they might do in September. To find him big league playing time, they might put him at third base more than shortstop. And that's... And, and that I think that's telling about what they and what they think about Michael Franco. I don't think that looks good for... 21 or Michael Franco. I think there's a lot of signs about what looks good and does Michael Franco when Pete McKinnon sits in for three days and says there's a no, you're not communi- on Michael Franco. no communication. You're, you're, you're not on Michael Franco. I don't, I'm not saying you, anyone should be. I'm just saying, like, I have residual thoughts of, you know, this guy in the minor leagues, a lot of guys really like this guy. I haven't talked to a big league scout about him, but 
he has two years now of, again, like just like we were banging on J.P. Crawford for not hitting in AAA, Michael Franco has a couple years of not producing at all in the major leagues, and his defense is below par. So. It's also, the issue is it just keeps getting worse. It'd be one thing if, you know, it was up and down, if it was, oh, you know, maybe it's just, you know, a bad stretch. It's, it's you know, you see right. the trend line moving down consistently. You mix in just, it's been a mess. I could absolutely see him as a guy, by the way, who is still young, goes to a new organization, gets a fresh start, and performs better. And there's very, very, very long list of guys who that works for. Again, these are human beings. Yeah. If you're not happy in your work environment and you go to a new work environment, sometimes you just perform better. It's just very strange to see a guy go to the big leagues at age 22 and have an 840 OPS, nearly slug 500, and really mash and make a lot of contact to see that guy regress so significantly. But I don't watch a lot of Phillies, but um, it's just it's stunning to see what he did as a rookie and what he's done since then. That is not common, I don't think. So, you know, baseball's hard. And, and some of it also, you know, it was a half season, and that's one of those things where, again, pitchers adjust. And at a certain point, and this thing you talk about with everyone who's ever played in the major leagues, in the major leagues, everybody has tools. The fact that you have three-plus tools is no longer what makes you stand out for the most part. We're talking about everyday big leaguers. All these guys can do something exceptionally well. It's can you adjust. Right. You know, the fact that, man, he's got big raw power, he'll show some feel to hit, he's got an arm, congratulations, you're in the big leagues. So, for the most right. part, so does everyone else. Right. It's can you adjust? Do you have that, you know, the mental capacity, the makeup, the ability to understand, okay, they're going to pitch me here. Here's how I have to adjust my mm-hmm. swing. Here's how I have to adjust my approach. Not to mention defensively, hey, you know, I could get away with some sloppy footwork at the lower levels. Right. Here the ball's coming off the bat 10 miles an hour harder. Yeah. The guys are getting down the line, you know, two, three-tenths of a second Except faster. Except for me because I don't. <laughs> right. I mean, it's... But yeah, like, no, you're right. He, mean, is not adjust- he is not... The, the, the league made an adjustment to him. He has not readjusted it. And to, and to his credit, whatever the motivation was, happy to have provided it here at Baseball America um, and on that podcast with, uh, with, John, with Jim for, Salisbury. For, but J.P. Crawford... Uh, 211, 328, 330 slash line pre All Star break, uh, 295, 382, 519 post All Star break. I think that the truth of what he'll be in the big leagues is somewhere uh, in the not, middle. Well, it's, I would say it's closer to the 901. I think he'll, I, I do, the fact that he's shown me that adjustment and he has 70 walks to 91 strikeouts, that he was always controlling the strike zone, it's the power in the second half. Eight doubles, three triples, seven home runs, uh, and 156 at bats. That's what was missing. The impact is what was missing from J.P. Crawford's bat. I still think – now, I don't think he's a top-10 prospect again. He's closer to, like, in that 50 range. Uh, but he's not going to be one of our minor league players of the year, I can tell you that. We've got, what, about, like, five, six, seven candidates still here at the end of the year. We're going to wrap the podcast up. We won't even talk about the brawl, but <laughs> I will tell you, the next time you hear us podcast, we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive, Kyle, into minor league player of the year. We've gotten to see Ronald Acuna here the last week. Uh, here in Durham uh, with Gwinnett, uh, you and Josh Norris uh, were all over that series. Um, we had Josh Norris down in Florida seeing Bo Bichette, uh, who's you know threatened threatened 400 for a lot of the season. He's been hurt. I think Josh jinxed him. I think he's been hurt with a rolled ankle you know, since I, Josh I, went to go see him. Well, I, you know, I got a good look at Brendan Rodgers out in the Cal League earlier this year. And Our next guy we got to go put eyes on. I think Josh is going to try to go this weekend uh, to go see Bowie because Austin Hayes can't stop, won't stop. That guy, I don't know the last time we had an Orioles player – who threatened minor league player of the year? To be honest with you, uh, I guess it was Matt Weeters actually back when Matt Weeters was in uh, was uh, 
was Machado attracting attention? I don't believe so, no. But I think it was when Matt Wieters was getting those Chuck Norris jokes made about him. Uh, that's when that, that, that that's the last time I can remember an Oriole in contention. But Austin Hayes, probably the best stealth prospect in the in the game. The guy who we had 99 on our midseason update. Um, so I'm glad we had him in our midseason update the first week of July in the top 100. But that was probably about 50 to 60 spots too low. We talked about this on a Facebook Live a couple weeks ago. Well, um, so some know, of it that, is that's a good candidate. Some of it is you, you remember players get better, they continue to develop, and it's when we do these rankings, and not just it's not just about upside, it's about risk. And when right. it's a guy doing something in high A versus oh he's now doing it in double A, he's shown the ability to adjust to that level of pitching. Yep, that is always going to you know get a candidate up the rankings. Yeah, uh, you know, Austin Hayes is a guy, and the other guy who is also in the player there contention, who the midseason rankings. Two more I can think of. They're both teenagers who were in the Midwest. Right. You know, league. Fernando Tatis Jr. This is a guy that you know people say, how is he you know number one hundred one you know in the mid midseason rankings? Because at the time, through the end of June, he was saying two fifty eight, you know three thirty, you know. Four four thirty. I mean, it was it was he had good. not locked it in. It was good, but what he's done July to August—that's the jump. And while you could say we think it's in there, there's a big difference between it's a it can theoretically happen versus it has happened. Yeah, there were tools, but the the, the tools that are most important—the hit and the power—were still involving a lot of projection. And since July, they don't involve projection. He has gone from projection to production so and that's uh, and that's gonna i mean so just to keep my so it's at through june 30th it was 259 348 440 a 787 ops again really good for an 18 year old in the midwest league but not top you know 25 30 status all of a sudden july august clicks he's a different animal he's been real as jj cooper pointed out statistically the top ops in the minors since that's since the minor league all star break, right? Yeah, not, been, not Ronald Acuna. I mean, it's Fernando Tatis. He just got bumped to Double A. So I think Hayes and not I mean, even J P Crawford. You know, Hayes and Tatis <laughs> are two examples of guys who, you know, good production. But once you start eliminating some of the risk factors and your potential turns into production, that's going to shoot you up the rankings at any time. And those two guys are in contention for our minor league player of the year. No two ways about it. Yeah, you go uh, July first through August twenty fifth. Highest OPS is in the minor leagues. You get Christian Walker, who's at Reno. You get Ramon Flores, who's been in the big leagues but is doing it in Double A now. You get Josh Fuentes, who's at uh, what was is, uh, is, is that? He's in Hartford actually. Josh Fuentes hitting three ninety one in his last forty seven games. Um, but then you get Fernando Tatis and some of the other guys who are prospects who are toward the top of this are Nick Senzel, um, and you get Ronald Acuna. And then you go a little bit further down and you give Vlad Guerrero uh, Jr. as well, who's really more on base than power. And it would be very interesting to see what would have, what kind of season Guerrero Jr. and Bichette would have wound up with if they'd stayed in the Midwest League. Because Bo Bichette was threatening 400. But you put those two guys, teenagers, in the Florida State League in that offensive environment. Even Ronald Acuna, with the great season he's had, has hit better in AA and AAA getting out of the Florida State League in the giant parks and the dead air, and the rain delays. It really is amazing how much the ball does not travel. I mean, you looked at the, what's the average slugging percentage in the Florida State Last league? I checked, it was 362 for 362 the 362 for an, as an average slugging percentage and I will say, Bo, by the way, Bo Bichette has come back. Uh, played the last two games for the first time since August 13th when he rolled that, angles, that yeah. ankle. So, But it, it's, it's just stunning how inoffensive that league is. And uh, I think I, I would love to go back and look and see if we've ever named 
a minor league player of the year who played the full season in the Florida State League. I'm going to guess that we haven't ever done that. And if we did, it was probably a pitcher because the league is just so, – it is in, – in an era of so much offense and so many home runs in the big leagues, I think it's really hard to wrap your head around a league where the slash line is 251, 321, 362, and where the league ERA is 354. I mean, that just doesn't happen anywhere else. So It doesn't. It's a really uh, difficult league to hit in. But those are some of the guys who are finalists for our minor league player of the year. I believe we're going to announce that September 8th, so uh, stay tuned to this uh, bad channel. And in the meantime, keep referencing back to our Major League preview, all things we talked about, and uh, we'll yeah, see it was, how it's the final month. I mean, this it was, is it's it was, stretch time. It was, a fun, uh, it was a fun look back at it, uh, Kyle. And, uh, uh, I will offer two seconds on the uh, on the brawl yesterday. First of all, that was a good brawl from <laughs> as far as brawls go, because there's no one. It doesn't sound like there's anybody with lasting injury. I don't think James McCann. I haven't read anything about he, he, James no, McCann. No, he came back up and hit a home run. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't impressive. see like that. He's in the concussion protocol today, yeah. after getting dosed in the head by Dylan Batances. But Gary Sanchez. Remember, we had all these reports on the makeup in the minor leagues that weren't great, and he certainly has overcome them and had some success in the big leagues. But I'm, I don't remember sucker punches quite like that in recent years. Gary Odor, Sanchez Odor. caught on tape. Renato Odor? But no, but he was facing That's right true. up to That's Jose true. Batista. That's hey, true. Batista had the hands up. He just crushed him. This was That's Gary true. Sanchez going into the scrum and throwing a couple of blows just to sneak him in. Did not endear himself We, we had to the me. interesting conversation. Gary Sanchez is about to get suspended. Austin Romine's about to get suspended. Kyle Higashioka is on the DL. Those are the three catchers on the Yankees' 40-man roster. Hmm. I haven't had that conversation. Uh, Who's in the catch for the Junkies? Uh, was it uh, Wilkin Ramirez, I think, is down in AAA? Uh, that was... Uh, that's uh, a suggestion, I suppose. I, I mean, mean, I mean that, that, that's actually an interesting... We were kind of talking about that. The Yankees actually might have a little bit of a catching problem here. Is Joe uh, Girardi going to activate himself? <laughs> just, again, depending on you know suspensions and how they all come out, maybe they'll... Someone will get off light. We have seen that before. They have Wilkin Castillo, like you said. I guess Eddie Rodriguez has caught 77 games in AAA. I think I saw Wilkin Castillo play when I saw Durham and Scranton last week. I saw Eddie Ramirez play as a member of the Lake Elsinore Storm, and I saw him get his one big league game as a Padre. That's a long time ago. They have a guy named Jorge Saez catching in AA. Uh, I suppose they could go that direction, but um, good luck, kid. Hey, come to the big leagues. And your first assignment is you're going to go catch uh, Aroldis Chapman's bullpen. Have someone, fun with some, all some, someone that. Someone suggested uh, Ronald Torres might be their emergency catcher. He probably is, but honestly, if those two guys get suspended for a long time, and I think Sanchez is going to get a long suspension, like 15 game ish, you know, and if Romine's suspended too, they're in a, this postseason race. They probably need to go make a trade. Well, Honestly, like for me, I would go make a trade. Well, and that's where that position is too important. You know, and that's where I think part of the issue. You know, talk about the brawl, and there's gonna be a lot of sides. You know, people say you know shouldn't have happened, and some of the old baseball purists will say, oh, it should have. I think one of the things you have to be smart about here with the Yankees is you're in a pennant race. You can't afford to have a lot of your guys suspended over, you know. A mid and a mid-August game against a you know a Tigers team with making no bones it. about contending. You've right. got you've got to be smart, and that's where for me you know if I'm if I'm you know in Yankees upper management, I'm talking to my guys and saying, guys, I understand you know there's some issues here with Osmus and Girardi and and staying up for your managers, but you can't have Austin Romine ripping the mask off 
leaning into Miggy. You can't have Gary Sanchez throwing that, sucker punches. You got to know Miguel Cabrera's having. He's got nothing to lose. He's having I, a terrible year. I, I mean, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't have that. You know, you guys essentially be the instigators there. When you're the team that has a lot more to lose they than have the team a, you're facing, you've got to be smarter. They have a lot to lose, and I think that's a great way to put it. Honestly, again, uh, one of these teams toward the bottom, like the San Francisco Giants, have got Nick Hundley, 33 years old. U of A joker, so you don't like him. But I mean, like, <laughs> you know, hey, ex Padre, great guy. Always Colorado, enjoy talking to him. And Colorado enjoy, prep product. Always enjoyed talking to him in the locker. In the locker man, and son of a defensive coordinator. Yeah, so to that me, that was always the thing with him. Every story was like, he's a son of a defensive. You've already coordinator. got Chase Headley. Why not go get Hundley? <laughs> and they're a match set, or they used to be with the Padres. I, I would, I would go. That, that's a guy. If I'm the Giants, I'm calling the, the Yankees right now and saying, hey, you guys are going to need a catcher. Here's a veteran who's been in playoff races who will be able to handle big league pitching. That's just too important to mess up, in my mind. And you look at the, the Rockies tried to go with young guys, and they went out and got Jonathan Lucroy in, in July because they really needed him. They just yeah. even diminished Lucroy. So one he's of hit these, well for them. He's actually, he has. He's, he's, he's had, picking it back up. I mean, some so, of it might, might be cores, but he's having a resurgence. Some of these, but, but there are uh, catchers are hard to find, and – I would not want to go into a pennant race with Kyle Higashioka having to be my main guy. And the fact that he's hurt, you're going beyond that. I and the Yankees are going to be in trouble if they get a significant suspension. And for me, Gary Sanchez merits it. The only highlights I've seen are Gary Sanchez sucker punching. I also, I'm just not down with the old school tactic. You got to pitch inside, Kyle. But hitting guys on purpose, that was done when people didn't throw a hundo. And Dylan Batances throws 98 like he's falling out of bed. That is not a person who should be instructed to hit other players. That that That's an anachronism for that reason, that players throw harder now. So that, to me, has to be legislated out of the game. You know, I think some of it, it, it you've got a lot of, it's, you know, heat of summer, competition. There's going to be guys who emotions are going to get the best of them. You know, I thought with Batances, you saw his reaction, which was kind of indicative that he didn't mean to do it. He just lost that pitch, and it was really poorly timed that he did. But it's also something that, you know, when Wilson comes back out and and plunks Frazier, I mean, at a certain point, it's got to be done. Well, you can't have it keep spiraling and snowballing and hit this guy, hit that guy. To me, the thing that drives me the craziest is when guys hit a guy after the guy hit a home run. Right. Really, you don't want to get, I mean... The guy takes you yard. That's on you. Like, do better next time. Exactly. That, that Get the me, next guy out. That that to me is the like. Come on, now you're just being a, a baby, a child baby who, you know, it just didn't get the way you wanted. So you're gonna throw a tantrum about it. Like, you know, sticking up for your teammates. Again, I don't love it, but I get plunk someone in the back. But you can't start going once you start going above the belt. You're talking about breaking guys. You know, breaking guys ribs. Getting into that, you know, even the shoulder neck area, and then yeah. especially if you're getting into the head, that's where you've got to. I mean, if guys just did not throw 100 miles an hour when they when this when this became the code, pitchers just didn't throw this yep. hard. Yep. I, and, and when they did, even even when they didn't throw this hard, Carl May still killed. Uh, I Ray, Ray Chapman. Ray Chapman was the name of the player for the Indians. Uh, yeah, I mean, I that, I, th- I think it's it's dangerous. We've known it's dangerous. Even beyond you know, and and beyond just that, you really you just could be smart about it. And that's again what I go back to with the Yankees. That when I saw this, is like, why are you guys messing around with this? Why are you, you have something to win? Correct. And you have now cost yourself potentially. 
a very valuable week to two week stretch depending on how these suspensions come down. And at the end of the day, if you're you know sitting back at the end of the season going, man, we're at 86 wins. We could have been at 92, 93. Yeah. But because we got into a we, – we, we lost our cool in Detroit on <laughs> August 24th. Yeah, exactly. Like – And it, I do love that it's these two supposed intellectual catchers as the managers who get into this. Mr. Northwestern and Mr. Dartmouth. Give me a break. I think uh, Joe Girardi's a really good manager. I've always thought that – Brad Ausmus is a, over his skis, personally, as a big league manager. I mean, I know he had big shoes to fill. He's, getting, he's trying to fill in for Jim Leland. But basically, as soon as Jim Leland left, Detroit had a lot of the same players. Again, older team, still spending money, and no longer competitive under Brad Ausmus. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not on Brad Ausmus as a manager, and uh, I kind of enjoy Cody Decker po- poking fun at Brad Ausmus, his Brad Ausmus catcher cutout in his videos. But I think both those guys are a little... I guess they're intellectual for baseball managers, but I'm not on their either one persona. Just just me. So as a pseudo intellectual myself, <laughs> I find them both uh, I find them both uh, annoying as as I'll get out when it, when I see their their post game uh, interviews. But I'm sure they're good quotes, so they don't seem like they ever get called out too much for by by media. But uh, like you said, the Tigers are beneath the Yankees right now, and that should have been a calculus for the Yankees in this brawl. They should have. They really should have not, you know, they should not have engaged the Detroit Tigers. They're not worth it. Save it for teams that you're competing with, uh, in my mind. And could cost them two catchers. Uh, this is something to watch going forward, these suspensions. So uh, good stuff, Kyle. We ended up talking baseball anyway. So yeah. enjoyed it as usual. Enjoy you guys. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. We hope you enjoy your baseballism gear because baseballism sponsors all of Baseball America's podcasts and Facebook Live. Don't forget to shop now at Baseballism.com. Enter the code BASHIP to receive free shipping on your order. And visit Baseballism.com for, to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. For Kyle Glazer, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.